You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 443 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey, guys. Howdy. Good afternoon. Yes. Are, are, we, extra secure, are we extra secure this week? We're super secure. It's, uh, sorry. Oh, I, have make, I have to make nerd jokes when I can. This podcast episode being transmitted over SSL. <laughs> I mean, actually, they all are, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a happy birthday week for the uh, 737-800. And its little nephew, the Max 7, is not getting certified this year. <laughs> it, so the first flight of the 737-800 was 1997 today, which is uh, July 31st. Um, kind of crazy. Yeah. Been flying that long, so. But 30, no, 26 years? Yep, twenty six years, and uh, the Max Seven just not is just, it's not going to happen. Well, you know, eventually, eventually Boeing's going to finally figure out all the paperwork soon. Uh, yeah, they're building it, <laughs> quite literally in this case. But um, yeah, it'll it'll happen eventually. Uh, most significant impact there is that Southwest has once again converted a bunch of uh, orders over to the Max Eight, mm-hmm. and actually converted some options to new firms and things like that, and you know. 50 or 60 planes a year for the foreseeable future. So, yep. Uh, but someone raised a good point of like, how are they doing this with all the deliveries that have slipped and where are they putting that capacity? You know, it's, it's hard to, especially because the eight has so many more seats than the seven. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if they, and they were, what they're retiring are their seven hundreds, which is even the max seven was bigger than the seven hundreds. Cause I don't know if you guys remember like 2016 or so they added two rows after Southwest said it'd be okay. Yep. So, there's a, there's a lot going on there in terms of increased capacity that's proving challenging for Southwest. I think their earnings call last week or the week before, there was some conversation about getting away from their more traditional intra-Texas, intra-California business traveler markets and doubling down on sort of Sunbelt leisure where the demand really is. And uh question arising of did they wait too long to make that adjustment in their schedule, yada, yada, yada. But uh, so, so a couple of things is... Is Boeing actually building the Dash Seven, the Max Seven, without the approval? Like, are they are they in production? That's a good question. I don't know. I just, I, so. Okay, because uh, my question would be like, what do you do with all those planes? Like, there's sitting. There, I mean, you're running into the, the well, I'm problem. Really yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, okay. I mean, I, I feel bad for Southwest kind of because uh, it seems like they're getting they're the ones going to bear the brunt of the the pain of this. So yeah, I mean, it sucks when you're the only customer for a product, and not only, but like the main majority customer. customer. Uh, pilot age follow up from the Senate. Yeah, remember how everybody got super excited or irate, depending on which side of the debate you sit on. Uh, where uh the Congress or the House approved ex- raising the pilot age to sixty seven for retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out that's a poison pill on the Senate side. Oh, lovely. And so the Senate side of the FAA appropriations bill has gone back into hasn't gotten out of committee and is a huge mess trying to sort out if they're actually going to have what they're going to bring out to sort of get voted on. This was always a, you know, the House passes one, the Senate passes one, and then there's a conference committee that sorts out the differences. This was always going to be a sticking point there. But, uh, yeah, it's looking like it's a bigger sticking point than not. And what what people had thought? Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, it's been hot in the United States. Yes. Uh, and all over, actually kind of all over, right? Even in Europe, the UK, et cetera. Um, 
so what's happening with with performance? Because we know heat affects aircraft performance. So there's a bunch. I think there's a bunch of things happening uh, with with regard to planes around the world. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of conversations about this stuff that's sort of uh, challenging. And there was a story. I think it was in the Independent um, or one of the other reasonable UK news outlets, sort of getting into this. But you know, just anecdotally and in real life, like hot means you generally not always, but may start to see performance penalties on departures. So, you know, we talk about hot and high runways. If it's too hot or you're at higher altitude, the air is thinner, it's harder to get off the ground. And often what happens is they either need a longer runway or lower payloads. And some places you can get a longer runway, and that helps. Some places you can't. Uh, Yeah. And you start to... And even when you have, I think, out of Vegas, right? Vegas has 14,000-foot runway or 14,500-foot runway, uh, down the south side of the field. So it's runway length isn't going to be the challenge there, but they're still seeing some flights with significant payload reductions departing like during the day. Mm. It's hottest. Just because they're, they're, they're going to need to take less, uh, people or cargo or fuel. Yeah. Because of the heat. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and so that's the interesting challenges, right? Like we have a dispatcher friend saying that planes are coming with, you know, five digit weight payload reductions uh-huh. you know in the pal thousands of pounds many thousands of pounds um which is significant and you also have the challenge of airlines have sold all these seats there's no spare planes or seats to be had if you start bumping people uh-huh. right so then what do you do and if it's shorter flights you can add more gas than you typically would or or take off a little bit of gas because no, you wouldn't add more. You'd, you'd have less gas than a full flight. And so those can sometimes get out and it's okay. When you start doing, say, a transcon like Vegas to Dulles on a 737, you don't have the opportunity, the option of not fueling it. Yeah. 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 Um, and we had a l- listener slash friend who was on a flight. They had announced basically it's too hot for us to take off. We're going to have to wait till it cools down. And that was a Vegas Dulles 737 800. And eventually, were able to get out while it was still hot because by taking an hour delay, 15 passengers misconnected and all said, well, screw it. We're not going to spend the night in Dallas now. Hmm. Not great. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I saw uh, American, I think I've mentioned this briefly at the end of the last show. Um, I don't think it made it to the, the actual show. Um, but there was a Phoenix to Portland flight on an E-175, which is rare anyway from uh, on American. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was odd because Phoenix was in the, you know, throws of a 110 plus degree day. Um, and me 175s, they, they, they really don't perform well at all, uh, in the heat. So, uh, I was surprised that they were sending that up. Um, and I'm seeing more of them, right. And, you know, in Phoenix, it's, I guess that's their most popular plane there. So I don't know. It's weird. Is it, is it the, at least a morning departure out of Phoenix? Uh, it was a midday when we recorded last. So yeah. kind of like right in the middle of the heat. So I was a little, maybe it was empty. I don't know. Who knows? So. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, uh, and and on top of that, you guys. I mean, we we have. I don't even know if we have it in the show notes here, but I don't think we do. Uh, it, Newark has. It's not been going well at Newark either with uh, weather again. Newark, Newark is a shit show. <laughs> Foz, you got you got stung by it. You ended up driving back from uh, Dulles to to Newark. Yeah, I don't know if that was more Dulles or Newark. That's the problem, right? Because there were there were nasty storms between the two. Yeah. Was this the one where you? Was this the one where you got a cancellation notice for your same day trip as the outbound departed? Uh, no, this is this weekend. Oh, okay. This is this weekend. I, uh, I flew Brussels, Dallas, Dallas. I was supposed to fly Dallas, uh, Dallas Newark, and uh, 
about an hour and a half out from Brussels, uh, I see the notification that my flight is canceled and I'm now rebooked on a 6 a.m. flight the next morning. Right, at least they found a seat for you. Yes, they did find a seat for me. So I'm just like, I was looking at any other options and there there was really nothing. I'm like, I, I could spend, it's 3 p.m., 2.30. What I got in, I'm like, I can stay here until 6 or just drive home and be there in four hours. Uh, Yeah. Tell me about uh, Japan Air and uh, Iberia to Doha. They're going to do it. Okay. There's apparently uh, been some heavy, uh, we'll say, investment on the part of the airport slash government of Qatar to bring in additional service, and especially from One World Partners. So, right, route development money is n- no secret. Air- airports and air uh, governments often subsidize new routes with revenue guarantees or waiving landing fees and gate fees and stuff like that. So that that's not necessarily new, but to have both JAL and Iberia announce new Doha service uh, basically the same day or same week is a little surprising. Um, and we had a listener sort of reach out and ask about this. I'm of a few minds about it. One of them is, is Qatar Airways tr- desperately trying to make itself look more useful to the alliance? Mm. I mean, maybe. Always, right? They're always posturing, so that's part of the fun but i don't know like is there a lot of onward traffic for either of those that's what i basically can't figure out i mean i could see like jow jow using them for some of the mid-east or india stuff like they india is so much backtracking i know jow, fly, I mean, jow you can fly into delhi or uh mumbai or at least you used to sure. or bangalore i flew bangalore tokyo so on jow yeah yeah so why would you go back to the middle east to go to india no, I just, I'm trying to think of what, I mean, maybe Africa. I mean, all of Africa yeah. opens up. I mean, Jal doesn't have a presence in Africa, really. So. Yeah, but, but Cathay's flying to Joburg, right? True. Depending on, where, depending on where you're going. And, but I mean, Africa's more than South Africa. You are correct. You are correct. And, 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 and Cutter's uh, coverage of Africa is pretty extensive. But how many yeah. traffic is really going between those two? Well, that's the question. Yeah, I mean, that's the real question. I think China, China makes more sense to Africa because of China's, you know, continued influence in the region. Um, would make more sense to me, but they offer now non-stops to a bunch of the places that they want to go. So, and and there's still a limited lift between China and Doha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I mean, Iberia is the weird one to me. I mean, it's all, to me, it seems like it's just all O and D, or maybe connections to the Middle East. That's it. I don't, I don't understand why you would go to the Middle East to Doha to, to India, South America. Oh, that's true. Fair enough. You can double. Well, you you know, you can go South America to Doha. Okay, with one connect, right? Because they only have Sao Paulo and Rio, I think, right? I think so. But and there's a lot of flights that uh, Madrid does. Yep. Uh, Iberia does from Madrid into South America. So that one makes a little more sense, I guess, maybe? I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I'll be honest. Um, Hopefully they get, they, you know, take the money, get paid, and do the thing. Um, tell me about some new single-aisle uh, lavatory rules. So this has been... To say this has been a long time coming is an understatement for sure. Uh, years in the making, the uh, DOT and FAA have finally come out with their final rule of what airlines will be required to do for passenger accessibility, uh, both on new and retrofit aircraft going forward. Okay. And the good news is we have a rule. We know what it is. The bad news is the first of the rules doesn't take effect for like three years now. And even then, it's only on new planes. And the most significant changes only take effect starting in 10 or 12 years. So it's going to be a while. Okay. Uh, and so the, and, and it's only on larger planes. So it's 125 seat. It's 
or more maximum configuration. So, right, every aircraft type has a maximum certified number of seats based on exits and stuff like that. That's the number being used. So an A220 uh, or E190 is actually a good example. The E190 has a max certified capacity of like 117 seats, I think. Mm -hmm. It does not have to have these new larger bathrooms. But the E195 E2, if it is still being sold in 2035, will have to have a larger lav for accessibility purposes. Gotcha. Um, the A220s, both the 100 and the 300, are considered uh, covered. Everything smaller than that is not. Everything bigger than that is, essentially. Um, and so then it's a matter of what is actually required. And so starting in three years, any new lavatory installed has to have grab rails and buttons that people can operate uh, without full vision or accessibility so some of that is like being the call button has to be accessible from the seat mm. uh there has to be a curtain to provide some privacy if you're being wheeled into the lab in a, in a wheelchair mm -hmm. and all the aircraft have to have a aisle chair that meets some new requirements in terms of passenger support and etc so that's sort of good but then you get uh the exceptions like if, and I think that it was written as if the if an aircraft is removed for maintenance reasons and then reinstalled, like a heavy check, uh, it does not have to be updated. So so all these old planes that stay in service for 30 years are still not going to be compliant until they're retired. <laughs> or, and here's where it gets interesting, Boeing, uh, one of the sort of points of clarification that came up in between the proposed rule and the final rule, Boeing said, okay, we get it, like, if we have the same part number... We don't have to, like, we take a laboratory out, and it turns out when we take it out for a heavy check, it's broken, and we put another one in, but it's the same part number, but a different serial number. We don't have to change it. And if it was like, oh, actually, you do. So that's a really interesting that, uh, scenario. And the FAA was like, this is exactly the time where you should be changing it. You had to replace it with something else, put in one that actually works. Hmm. So that, that was an interesting win for consumers, considering all the other limited bits. The other... Uh, thing i thought was interesting is the so it's 10 years from uh the day it's published in the federal register which is imminent uh anything ordered with it after 10 years or delivered after 12 has to have the larger lavatory and that's where things get really really interesting the lab has to accommodate a 95th percentile male sized passenger in a wheelchair and their 95th percentile male u.s passenger assistant helping them transfer to a seat that's so, a big lab are we going to see the return of the condo the party lab on the 762 yeah yeah i mean that's basically what it is and i don't know how you put one of those in you only need one on board they don't all have to have that and i don't know how you get something that that big on a single aisle plane um yeah. 767 200 is what we're talking about here had what was actually known as the condo or the party lab and it was massive it was i guess like between this and economy, like in the center, so it was mm -hmm. three feet wide. It was crazy. You could you could change clothes, do some calisthenics. It's great. You could have, you could have company in there. <laughs> so, <sighs> the only other thing I'll say is, like, as much as I'm bitching as it's taking forever to make this happen, it could be worse. The airlines and Boeing asked for a 20 year timeline, and they got we got 10. <laughs> so, oh, and, and any new planes that apply for a certificate within one year of it being passed or more than one year after it passes have to accommodate this as well. So how would they do this on a narrow body though? Yeah. Like on a seven, three, like that's the whole back of the plane. 
you you basically have it on one side and it takes up two rows instead of one. And so you basically where the two labs are. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I also thought was interesting is 60 seat planes and up. So this will include your CR7s, CR9s, uh, and 170s, 175s. We'll all have to have a sharp spin on board. So for someone who's got tensile injection or anything else like that that needs to be able to dispose of a needle, that has to be available on the aircraft. And that's one where I've seen them on aircraft before, I'm pretty sure, so it's not impossible to do that, but uh, not with U.S. carriers that I can recall. And so- yeah, you know, I, I, it makes me think, I actually saw that on Singapore, Yeah, uh, a sharp spin. I was surprised, but it makes sense. I mean, it, yeah. and p- yeah. part of it though also is like, okay, the bins exist fine, but like, who empties them? Who manages that? How does that get processed? It's, you, on a single aisle plane, you can't check that every flight. Does it do it on the RON, like on the overnight? Like when, where, do, where and when and how you check it? There's going to be some interesting process stuff that comes out of this for the airlines. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Oh. And then and on top of this, yeah. United uh, announced that they're going to have uh, Braille in the cabin. I mean, they've had some Braille, but now it's going to be pretty much everywhere that there's uh, written text. So it's for seat and row assignments and lavatory doors is where they're focused right now. Um, and that's good. Uh, that was the other thing I was to say is, that, you know, again, in the lavatory, everything is supposed to be sort of accessible. Someone was complaining. That means what we're going to keep getting is the sort of either motion sensor or lever uh, like faucet controls and how annoying those are. But I don't know. I, no, you're not going to make everybody happy. So it should happen. Um but yeah, the Braille is definitely a, a step in the, towards all of this, but not a full solution. But it's it's impressive how much United is doing. They've got a full mainline fleet by 26, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's part of the uh, main cabin retrofits. Oh, so when you get the new F seats, you get Braille. Spoiler yeah. Yeah. Did you guys did you guys see that Delta? I think you wrote a story about this, Seth. Uh, Delta stopped offering the free in-flight entertainment on your device. Yeah. That's kind of wild. Jason wrote it, but I published it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason wrote it. Sorry, yeah. Um, that's kind of wild to me. Like they I, want you to, they want you to interact with their system where they can throw ads at you better. Yeah. So like use the seat back TV. Wow. Well, anyway, he's uh, using it, but you know, who the hell knows. Yeah. Tell me about Clear uh, and their backdoor for identity verification. Um, does it still exist? Is it doesn't exist? What is it? According to Clear, it never existed. So let's start with that. <laughs> They put out a statement saying, we spoke to the reporters on the record several times and explained to them why what they're reporting isn't true, and they reported it anyways. So, great. It turns out that during enrollment, you take a picture of yourself, and that's supposed to be part of a match to some, I don't know, database that maybe it's the Trusted Traveler database or something else. Uh, if it doesn't match, and there were uh, apparent, according to the story, there were a lot of pictures that were... Uh, masked or wearing a hoodie or otherwise you know someone the top of someone's forehead like clearly not actually the person yeah uh there's an override option for the person doing the enrollment like the employee at the site and they could be just like and ah, no, i saw their idea they said it's them and apparently that was getting used probably more than it should to the point that and it's actually i'm not clear that it was used in the case that triggered this sort of investigation but a guy got busted going through security with live ammunition, having been checked by Clear. And so that alone isn't a problem, right? Yep. All Clear does is verify your identity with biometric. But then it turned out it was a false identity. Really? Yeah. So how, how did how did how did he do that? He whatever verification Clear was doing apparently didn't really get done. 
I mean, it's a problem. If we're going to pretend that identity is security, maybe we shouldn't let the people who you pay to skip the identity part of the checking uh, skip, you know, skip that for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure Foz has feelings about this. I have feelings about this. I like clear because it lets me skip the line. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't love paying for it. I think we should just make everything pre-check uh, for everybody. That's my, they pre-check normal again. Um, but I feel like <clears throat> the clear process, I feel like there are a lot of holes in it. Like the whole process itself of, okay, scan your eyes. Oh, that didn't work. Take a picture. Oh, now it's validated. Oh, scan your boarding hat, whatever. Like, I feel like there's like a lot of like little gaps in what they're doing um, that makes me go, is this really how we should be doing it? Um, God. I mean, I was going to say, I'm not a big fan of clear at all. No, I'm surprised. I hate it. Uh, but, but truth be told, right? It, it, like there, I some of my biggest complaints about Clear is their machines. Their machines suck. They yep. cannot reach fingerprints properly, and this is such a basic thing that they can't seem to fix. Yep, and, and it drives me crazy. But the problem with Clear is it, the benefit is no longer there. Uh, the last few times, I'd say the last half dozen times or so I've flown, the Clear line is always longer, and pretty the process is much faster. So even if I can walk up to a clear machine with no weight versus a pre-check line with six people, I will still get through faster just right through the regular line. Yeah. I, I feel like they should, I mean, I would be okay if, if we had better, if pre-check lines were, were better houred. Um, I think in Newark, you know, their, their, their hours suck. Um, and they call it very understandable. Yeah. Across the country. So but like, I feel like if we could get that better, employ those clear employees to work for the TSA. Um, imagine that. Uh, and then they wouldn't get stock options, Steven. Oh, that's true. Uh, and then and then get the pre-check line moving the way it should be. Um, then I, I think you're 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 better off, right? Like they're doing this these ID checks now with with pre-check where you don't even show your boarding pass. They just look at the manifest. Are you on a manifest? Does your ID match? Right. You're good to go. Good that, yeah. Like, how, how does that how does that not work? That's you know? a lot of fun during air ops. It's true. <laughs> you have multiple flights. Which flight are you on? Yeah, I had that both uh, both my trips last week because I had both Delta and or two weeks ago I had Delta and JetBlue booked on the nonstops between Detroit and Boston, both directions. And I got to the counter and I scanned in. And the guy's like, "Can you see your boarding pass?" I'm like, "It's the JetBlue flight." He's like, "Okay." I'm like, he didn't even make me show it. I was like, "Yeah, I'm booked on both because you know delays and shit." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he didn't care. Same problem coming back. And the guy said something like, "Yeah, if this flight actually goes, I'll cancel the other one." And he laughed, but. Uh, at least they're used to it. If you know what you're doing, you can get through that pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's not a problem at all. It's just, it's, it's just, you always get a raised eyebrow going, why are you on three flights? <laughs> and I'm going to be in, so I, I split up. I, I split up when I get through security. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it, we could solve this problem by fixing security as a whole. And yeah. Anyway, but, yes. but then there's no money to be made. I know. I know. Well, did you see there's also raising his prices? I didn't see that. I think I don't, the ninety nine dollar plan is going up to one forty nine. No, I mean it's like everything else. It's like all the subscription stuff, right? Like all the subscriptions are going up. Yeah, Every, yeah exactly. I'm still surprised Stephen pays for clear. I don't. I had okay. it through a credit card. You also get it from United. Oh, I, oh yeah, I do. Yeah, maybe it's United. I don't know. I don't know how I actually have it. I just know I have it. So, <laughs> why are you surprised I pay for it? Because you can get it for free. No, no. Just, come on now. Uh, what do you say? I pay for things I can get for free. I can, come on. Um, why would I not pay for it if you don't have to? Is my point. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. Pratt and Pratt and Whitney engine issues. Um, this, this seems to be a recurring problem. Metal man, tell you what, this is uh, inclusions in the metal that are some of the fan blades or some compressor blades. So 
got to take the engines and inspect them and possibly replace the uh, pieces. Wow. Um, and we, we've been talking about issues like this for years now, right? We're stressing aircraft and engines, especially to unbelievable limits. And, you know, it, I'm glad they're able to find that they're, they're, they've discovered it before we're seeing like uncontained failures or anything, but not great. But I, I, I mean, I was reading um, Hawaiian has a bunch of these birds impacted, so they've already started canceling flights starting this month or next month. Really? Yeah, they've already dropped Maui Vegas or uh, yeah Maui Vegas, and they're looking at what other planes they need to take out, and it's going to be a substantial number from what they were saying. Yeah, I've got. We're going to talk about it a little later, but like it's sort of the same problem as Go First was having in uh, India. The airlines that are affected are really affected, and because there's very few spare engines available or spare parts to fix engines available. When one gets flagged and is in trouble, it can really hurt an airline. Hmm. I mean, one of the questions that keeps coming up for me is what is GE doing that Rolls-Royce and Pratt wouldn't hear about? Well, in this case, there are some CFM engines that might also be implicated with similar metal issues. But is that because of the Pratt Whitney port contribution or is that because of the GE contribution? Oh, I don't know. Right, like we don't hear issues with the GNX engines or the GE90s at all. Yeah. Uh, well, but again, I, I are those made from the same alloys? I would bet the older models are not. Okay, but the GNX, right? That's probably one of the most stressed engines out there right now with the with the flights it's doing. And that's the one that they had to take off the triple seven X test aircraft and fly back to Ohio and completely rework before they could get it back on the wing for test flights again, right? So, but on the seven eight nines, it's working fine. Is that, is that the Gen X or is that the... That should be the G, Gen X, is it not? I thought the Gen X was only the 777X. I don't know. Whatever. You're, yes, the triple the 787 engine, the uh, GE90s that are on the 777s, those are running wonderfully right now. Well, the GE90s are on the 777. Right. 777s. They're not on the... Uh, but on the 78s, it's Gen X is from what I understand. Okay. And I guess it's also on the 748 then? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there's, some, there's a slightly different one. It's the 9X, not the Gen X. That's why. Okay. It's on the 777X because it's like the 90, but it's the 9X. Right. So the question that I have is, what has GE done with the Gen X that they've been so rock solid compared mm-hmm. to what the other tools have been up to? Right. Are they just, is GE just paying more for better materials or just do they just have better quality control? Could be both. It could. If you happen to work for GE Engines and want to talk about this, please give us a call. <laughs> um, the E2 uh, is now certified in Malaysia. 190 and 195 E2, which will be great because some random airline, SKS Airways, tiny little operator there, is going to start flying them. Uh, they signed a lease deal back in May. What I find most interesting about this, not that it got approved, like why wouldn't it? So great. But the um, that operator, SKS Airways, is going to fly them out of the Subang Airport in Kuala Lumpur, which is like their downtown airport, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't exactly downtown, but it's way closer than the International Airport, which is not at all close to the city. And currently, I think it's all turboprops out of that airport. So this will be bringing jet commercial service in. It's a little like uh, Billy Bishop Porter kind of situation. They also, their website appears to be completely in flash. SKS Airways? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, like, it's weird. Like, parts of it are. I. Um, it's barely usable. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> it's- uh, I, I was cleaning my book bookshelf this weekend, and I found the uh, classroom uh, Adobe Classroom book for Dreamweaver CS3. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I think it's it's either it's like Flash. Yeah, it's got to be Flash, or they're doing it with like SVG images or something like vector. Anyway, it's anyway. like anyway. Yeah, that's so cool. Fine, it's good on when they, when it happens. But I just like that they're bringing jets into the little airport. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then a bunch of stuff in India going on. Yeah, so I'm gonna run through these relatively quickly. Jet Airways. Uh, which is still trying to sort itself out and get back into service, uh, was at a risk of that falling apart because its uh, AOC operating certificate mm-hmm. was set to expire. On Friday, it got extended by the Indian regulators. And then today, on Monday, Jet put out a press release announcing that its airport operator certificate was renewed. So that doesn't give me a lot of confidence in the operation. <laughs> um yeah, that's not great. Uh, speaking of government approvals, there go first, which is still in bankruptcy and sorting out whether it actually is going to have airplanes or not, uh, whether or not they have working engines from Pratt and Whitney. Notwithstanding, a bunch of their lessors are trying to get the planes back, and there's been a number of legal battles there. Uh, it might actually uh, trigger though India signing on to the Cape Town Convention, which sort of controls all of this leasing, who's allowed to have priority on returns and when stuff. Uh, but GoFirst did receive approval for its business plan to resume operations, but still doesn't have planes or financing sorted. So, you know, one out of three ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, Indigo uh, had four tail strikes in the first half of the year, I wow. believe, and was fined $35,000 as a result. 35000 <laughs> uh, So, yeah, not, not a huge fine. What's interesting about it, something I saw, is that apparently... They've been uh, pushed as a company have been pushing fuel efficiency measures, which include single engine taxi in and taxi out and also landing with flaps fully deployed. Hmm. And apparently there's some concern slash speculation in the industry that the flap settings, which apparently helps with fuel efficiency for the landings, also may be triggering some of these tail strike or making it more susceptible to tail strikes. Well, I mean, you're you're coming in. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Like, I, I don't know of many carriers that enforce a full flap setting yeah and i'm not sure they enforce it but it's sort of like if, if you say fuel you know fuel usage is tracked by pilot and you get an award cert- like paper certificates nothing useful but like you get recognized for being more efficient than your peers yeah but, you, but i mean l- lower fl- i mean more flaps means slower speeds means you know your angle of attack is higher it's your nose is up right so more likely to hit the tail that's that's just flying. And wouldn't it also have an impact on uh, a takeoff go around or uh, go around either? Yeah, I mean, you'd have you'd be at a slower speed, so the ability to go around would be a little tougher. Yeah. Did you guys? And I'm sorry, this is not on the uh, show notes here, but have you guys seen that Heathrow is asking airlines to tanker in fuel because of fuel supply issues? I mean, no. Yeah, I just got a comment from someone I you know a company that sort of does this uh, stuff. I don't even know what it stands for. It's an acronym. Uh, IBA estimates that 1,800 tons of used, unwasted, of used, unwasted, or wasted carbon dioxide per day as a result of the fuel supply issues at Heathrow, with a nine-day problem that Heathrow describes. Uh, apparently, been going on for a week, or it's going to happen for a week. I mean, at this point, nothing surprises me. I feel like we're just like one major incident away from collapse of everything. Yeah, they're also <laughs> suggesting that. Uh, a triple seven from JFK to Heathrow might tinker in a full return load as well. And that's probably not the case. Even if they are going to tinker in a little extra, they're almost certainly not going to bring a full, full return trip. They'll bring in, you know, 30, 40, 50% and only take on a little at Heathrow. But 
Anyway. How, yeah. full, how full can a 777 Beetle land? Oh, uh, it could be half full and be okay. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, speaking of tail strikes, uh, we kind of talked about this briefly, but there's like a thread on airliners.net about a United flight that had a tail strike, and it actually, I mean, made tail strike is a hard landing. This is the it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a hard landing. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, it, really did the number on the on the fuselage yeah like rippled the fuselage and yeah. possibly split it at the top i mean he, i don't know what they were doing but it it's a big yeah mess. i've seen a report that says the ntsb is investigating but haven't confirmed that yet are they gonna pull a delta and repair it and put it back in the surface <laughs> as long as it's not at the bulkhead i guess you could yeah someone was saying that they thought the delta hail plane that we talked about last week in milan out of milan was going to be a write-off but i don't know well, I was referring to the seven five in Port of Delgado. Yeah, no, I know that one too. I just, I don't know. Um, and then lastly, I had a story. I, I thought this was interesting. It's the Dig did a story, uh, like kind of a, I guess it's a, a visual guide on the most crowded airports in the world. Um, and they did it by number of passengers per ten square meters of the terminal, uh, daily daily passengers per ten square meters of the terminal. Um, I don't know if you guys have looked at this already, but the worst is uh, Columbia. Uh, it's the the airport in Bogota, uh, El Dorado International. Fourteen and a half uh, passengers per ten square meters. What do you think the the most the busiest in the United States is, or okay. like, the most crowded? Uh, yeah. I just read it, so I know the answer. But yeah, Seattle. <laughs> it's the most people, Foz, in that like crowded spaces. I I agree with it, just because everywhere you go, you feel like you're just surrounded by people. Um, and then Brussels is it, the worst in, that, in Europe. Does that account for the new international gates or not? I wonder. I don't know. Uh, this was done in... Let me see if I can find it when it was actually uh, created. Must have been done last year, maybe. So maybe not. Yeah. Either way, it's still for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Brussels, Whatever gate I'm not going to be sitting at seems like it's the answer. <laughs> and then uh, LaGuardia is actually really low on the list. They're like number 10. Pause. 4.5 customers per, per 10 square meters. That's surprising to me. They, at least you start counting the tarmac. Nah. <laughs> uh, how many people are stuck on planes? Yeah. Uh, Copenhagen. Because they have used the runway to back taxi doesn't for planes because the ground got so full doesn't mean they have a problem. Okay. Sure. And then yeah, and, that really happened last week. And then three of Europe's ten most crowded airports are in London: Stansted, Gatwick, and Heathrow. Surprises no one. I mean, if you've been to any of the other airports in the UK, they're not that busy. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I think that's a show, guys. We're going to talk about uh, some South African Airlines divestment, uh, Tijuana, uh, BA catering some KFC, uh, uh, AAFAs, the flight attendants crashed the servers hosting the strike authorization vote, uh, and then some cuts from United. We're going to talk about all that in the bonus for our Patreon subscribers, so stick around for that. I want to say thanks to our new Patreon subscribers, Traveling Well, Catherine E., Sally, and Matt G. Thanks for supporting the show. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to everyone in the next one. Happy travels. See ya.